the Dominicast at Dominican College Port Stewart. Welcome, 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 folks, to the Dominicast, your go-to destination for all things insightful, entertaining, and thought-provoking. I'm your host, Olivia Rose Ravenscroft, and this is episode 10 of our thrilling journey together. And I'm your co-host, Charlotte Fraser, your trusty co-pilot through the waves of discussion and discovery. We're thrilled to have you with us today. But before we dive into the heart of today's episode, let's make sure you know where to find us. The Dominicast is available on all major platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. So hit that subscribe button and never miss a beat, because why would you want to miss us? That's right, and today's episode episode is brought to you by some fantastic sponsors who make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Shanty Port Rush, Morales to Go and A Broader Picture. Check them out and show them some love. With the Six Nations Rugby Champion in full swing and Ireland chasing, chasing a second consecutive Grand Slam victory, our Year 13 pupils, Dale and Tom, had the incredible opportunity to sit down with this episode's guest. None other than ex-Ireland Rugby International, Andrew Trimble. That's right. Dale and Tom got the inside scoop of Andrew's life, his time wearing the famous green jersey and what he's been up to since retiring from the game. It's an interview you will not want to miss. But before we get into that, let's pass over to Molly and Maggie for a roundup of the latest news from around DCP. Hi guys! And welcome to the latest edition of the DCP News Roundup where we will bring in the latest happenings from around the joke of Edinburgh Community Prep School. I'm your host, Molly Smith, and I'm excited to dive into the news with you today. Hi, and I'm your co-host, Maggie, ready to unpack all the exciting updates from our vibrant school community. Let's jump right in. First up, a huge congratulations are in order to our outstanding students who were presented with their bronze certificates and badges this week. These students successfully completed their Duke of Edinburgh expeditions last June, showcasing determination, resilience and spirit of adventure. Bravo to each and every one of them. Next, let's celebrate the triumph of your Yuri football team, who clinched victory in the Corian and District Under 12's B Team League. They emerged victorious in the final match against Corian College at the Corian Showgrounds, displaying skill teamwork and sportsmanship. What an achievement and shifting gears, let's take a journey across borders with their history and geography trip to Berlin. Our year 11 to 14 students, along with our designated staff, embarked on an enriching adventure over the half turn. From exploring historical landmarks to immersing themselves in a vibrant culture of the city, it was an experience they'll cherish for a lifetime. Absolutely. It's incredible to see our students engage with the world around them and seize opportunities for learning and growth. That's what makes our school community so special. Indeed it does, and with that we wrap up another edition of the DCP News Roundup. Stay tuned for more updates, achievements and inspiring stories from our remarkable school community. Thanks for joining us folks. Until next time, keep shining bright and embracing the spirit of adventure. Take care. Hi everyone, it's Lily May here. Now before we get into the nitty gritty of our interview, we have something special lined up for our listeners. We're hosting the competition this week, and the prize? 
Well, it's rugby-related gem that any fan would love to get their hands on. But first, let me tell you how you can win it. We're going to ask you three questions about Andrew Trimble. Listen closely to his interview because the answers may be in there. The first person to DM for Mr Coyles with all three correct answers wins the prize. So be sure to listen throughout the interview for all the important questions. Question 1. What position did Andrew Trimble play for Ireland? Question 2. How many caps does Andrew Trimble have for Ireland? Question 3. What's the name of Andrew Trimble's podcast? Hello and welcome back to the the Dominicast, your ultimate source for all things happening with our Dominican college community. I'm Willow and I'm thrilled to bring you the latest scoop on some exciting upcoming events. First on our agenda, let's talk about our church fundraisers. As we embark on the season of Lent, our hard-working DCP pupils are gearing up to host an array of fundraisers for Chokra. From charity walks to bake sales, there's something for everyone to get involved in. So keep those eyes peeled for some truly exhilarating activities and events happening right here at our school. Let's come together and make a meaningful impact. But wait, there's more. As we approach the ever-celebrated St Patrick's Day, mark your calendars for Monday, March the 18th. It's a day off, folks, so don't forget to save you the extra time to indulge in all things Irish. Whether you're donning green or enjoying some traditional Irish cuisine, make the most of this festive occasion with your loved ones. And finally, let's not overlook the much-anticipated Easter holidays. We'll be off from Friday, March 22nd, all the way through Monday, April the 8th. It's the perfect opportunity to recharge, spend quality time with family and friends, and perhaps even indulge in some Easter accounts. So let's make this holiday memorable and rejuvenating for all. That's all for now. Until next time, stay engaged, stay informed and stay Dominican. Morelli's to go takeaway ice cream parlour in Port Stewart. Into lunch and a scoop of happiness from Morelli's to go. Your ultimate destination for mouth-watering takeaway ice cream delights in Port Stewart. Whether you're craving classic flavours or daring to try something new, Morelli's to go has you transport you to ice cream paradise. Visit Morelli's to go today and satisfy your sweet tooth craving. Shanti, your beloved local restaurant in Port Rush, nestled by the sea. Shanti offers a delightful blend of fresh seafood, locally sourced ingredients and warm hospitality. From delectable starters to mouth-watering mains, every dish at Shanti is crafted with passion and flair. Join us for an unforgettable dining experience and savour the flavours of the north coast at Shanti. A broader picture, houseware, interior design and gifts. Elevate your living space with a broader picture. Your premier destination for houseware, interior design and gifts. Discover a curated collection of exquisite pieces that add decor, character and style and charm to your home. For elegant furnishing to unique decor accents and thoughtful gifts. A broader picture offers something special for every taste 
and occasion. Let us help you transform your house into a home with our distinctive selection of quality products. Shop a broader picture today and reimagine the possibilities. Alright, well, can you share some memories from your childhood that you think contributed to your passion for rugby? Um, yeah, so uh, rugby for me was always um, front and centre. My my dad played rugby, he was a rugby fan, and I inevitably became a rugby fan. Uh, I went to my first rugby match at um, the old Lansdowne Road in 96, I think it was. Um, South Africa played against the Barbarians, and um, we got the bus down with a load of ones from Korean Rugby Club, and um, great buzz, great excitement. Um, so that kind of contributed to it, and then just a general playing mini rugby for Korean rugby club and uh, uh just every saturday morning it was what i lived for i loved it the excitement was through the roof and um playing in you know tournaments all around ireland I played at a tournament in edinburgh one in london irish um dundalk limerick um all that sort of stuff just meeting people from everywhere and um just being immersed in rugby um those were the those were the kind of experiences that develop my my passion for rugby yeah yeah uh what role did your like family play and early environment play in your decision to play rugby yeah so i had um obviously two key influences on me um from a, and they were um uh contrasting i suppose um my dad pushed the rugby and my mom pushed tennis uh i played tennis for um a good few years i was i was never really that good at it um, I, I, I enjoyed it, I suppose, but I was never that good at it. It might've been good for, for footwork and general kind of hand-eye coordination or athleticism, but, um, but yeah, my, my dad's, um, opinion, uh, trumped mums significantly and, um, yeah, the, the rugby influence became more, more impactful. Um, it helped my dad's case that I was better at rugby than it was at tennis. So, um, uh, yeah, I went that direction. Yeah. Um, well, looking back at your school, how did your experiences there, both academically and in sports, prepare you kind of for your future career in rugby? Um, I'd say my academic experience didn't uh, didn't help didn't help me that much or prepare me that much um, for rugby. To be honest, um, mm-hmm. I um, straight it's kind of strange kind of final year in school academically because I did um, A level maths and lower sixth and um needed to get a couple of um papers uh remarked so that kind of crept into into upper sixth but i got them redone in uh like november time so after that most of my upper sixth i only did two subjects so i i I had a gift i had 20 or 25 free periods in upper sixth which is just (laughs) the way to do it so academically probably wasn't um uh uh pushed as hard uh maybe as as i as i could have been but um it, it meant upper sixth was kind of really just about rugby <laughs> for me and um i played um ulcer schools this summer actually after lower sixth um we went to south africa and we i we toured there with with the the school and we had an amazing tea, uh, time and uh that was kind of really what kind of developed me and push me on and, and, and put me in a good position to then 
take good opportunities in rugby and in upper six whenever you know it's your time to shine and final year when you're finally um you know kind of filling out a little bit more and a little bit more you're like nodding at each other you're thinking right um you know i i was a little bit of a slow developer so i had to kind of wait until i kind of caught up a little bit physically and then by upper six you know i just felt really good and uh, that experience in south africa was brilliant for me as well and pushed me on and uh, then upper sick that played Ulster schools and Ireland schools, even like even socially, just meeting new people from new uh, different schools and all across Ireland was amazing. But also the experience, the rugby experience was was amazing. We, I don't even know what you call it. The Ireland schools kind of we played. Uh, we didn't play Scotland back in the day. Scotland had a youth system. We played England, France, and Wales. I think we either like we won two of them and and uh, drew one of them. So we, um, yeah, we had a reasonably successful Irish schools um, and meeting new people, doing all that was was amazing. So that was, uh, yeah, from from a sporting perspective, um, my last year in school was was very enjoyable. Uh, when you think of school, are there any like uh, teachers or coaches that you think, you know, stand out to you that encourage you to play rugby, I guess? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so Stevie Graham, um, was the first 15 coach at Corian at the time. He was very good for me. Um, uh, Begsy, Mr. Beggs, um, was, uh, he, he went on tour with us to South Africa and he was very good for my, my development and, you know, my confidence and all that sort of stuff. So those were the two standout guys. Um, and then from, uh, you know, whenever I kicked on and started playing Ulster schools and Irish schools, um, there's a guy called Kenny Hooks played in the wing for, for Ireland a couple of times, uh, coach Dharma. Um, he was very good for me, my development with Ulster schools. And then, um, yeah, there was really, there's probably about 10 or 15 coaches that kind of along the way, um, continued to invest time in me and, and, and develop me and everything, everything that goes with that. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind me asking, where about in South Africa did he tour? All right. We, um, we were in Durban. Uh, we played Durban High School there, and then we went to Kersney, um, Kersney College. We played a, a, a festival, a rugby festival there, played two or three teams there. Then we went to um, Stellenbosch and played Paul Roos. So anybody who knows South African schools, the oh, standard. Yeah. The standard the yeah, yeah, they're, they're one, one of the big ones. Yeah, yeah. I'm from uh, South Africa, so I kind of know all that stuff. Oh, right. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we, Apollos were so good, or the other way of looking at it is we were so bad that um, we played Polaroos seconds and they still beat us. <laughs> so um, that was a tough day. Um, yeah. And then we went, I don't think we played any games when we went, when we went down to, to Cape Town, but that was just about kind of sightseeing and finishing the tour. But um, so whereabouts in South Africa are you from? Oh, yeah, I was, I'm from Cape Town. That's where uh, I kind of grew up. Yeah. You've lost um, all the accent. Yeah, I did. The, the Port Stewart accent's them. trumped the Cape Town accent, is it? Or is that a hybrid? Yeah. Better accent, I'd say. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, can you walk us through your journey like into professional rugby and what were like some of the pivotal moments that kind of shaped your career? Yeah, so um there's about you know eight or ten kind of steps uh really going from um, being a good schools um, player to kind of stepping up and 
you know, developing and getting opportunity in the, the academy. Back then, whenever I was younger, it was it was a national academy. It was an Irish academy with kind of regions. But now it's, you know, the Ulster Academy. Um, but the principle is the same. You get an opportunity to, to go in there. You develop physically and develop your skill set and just develop a bit of an understanding of what it is to to move towards you know, high performance or a high performance environment and, and train like a, like a professional, kind of semi-professional at that stage. Um, uh, so basically, you have to play well eight times whenever there's an opportunity to step up. So for me, it was Ulster schools, get the opportunity, then step up to Irish schools. And again, an increased kind of professionalism at that level. Then um, the following year, I was, you know, I was studying part-time and I was uh, in the in the academy, play Ulster under-21s, Ireland under-21s. Again, if you do well, you kind of, you get a good reputation, you get opportunities. And then I got a development contract with Ulster. And uh, uh, in that development contract, I then kicked on and I managed to start a couple of games for Ulster, do well, push on, get a couple of opportunities for Ireland. So as long as you don't cock up <laughs> any of those, then you kind of prove that you can manage uh, to perform at that level. And then they kind of invest a little bit of trust in you. That all sounds very straightforward, but there's, there's, you know, that's how, how you get into the environment. And then there's how you continue to improve in that environment and how you manage injuries, how you manage setbacks and difficult, um, uh, uh, I suppose you know new coaches coming in and responding to them and you know changing position for me changing from the center to the wing was you know having to kind of re rediscover my game what made me tick and rediscover skill, skill set for the wing so there's all sorts of turbulent moments in your career after that but the progression into professional rugby across you know two or three years that's that's what that looks like just getting opportunities and taking them yeah yeah obviously you know you played for Ulster in Ireland countless times you know what what matches stand out to you as really memorable uh so i maybe touching on the, the previous point i was making there once you get into the environment then uh it's about finding out what, what works for you i really only found out what worked for me or how to get the best out of myself when i was you know 27 28 so i was i was a real i peaked late i well i probably peaked early and then plateaued or, you know, started to kind of struggle some young fellas coming in to the side whenever I was, you know, 23, 24. And um, they were able to do stuff I couldn't do. So I had to kind of rediscover what made me tick, how to get the best out of myself. Joe Schmidt came into Coach Ireland whenever I was 27, 28. He got the best out of me. Um, uh, there was one or two games in particular. From an Ulster perspective, um, uh, when I, when I was 20 or 21, the Toulouse game at home uh, was was really significant. Score, we scored three tries in the first half, just blew them off the park. It was amazing. Um, uh, so I suppose um, winning the, the Celtic League that year, David Humphreys would draw goal from right halfway. The ball ricocheted off both uprights and then the crossbar went over. Amazing to be part of part of that. Then um, later on with Ulster, we managed to get to a couple of finals. Um, we weren't successful winning anything after that, really. We won, or we got to a final. We got beat by Leinster. We got beat by Leinster every year, basically. <laughs> they basically finished our season every year. Um, but um, a, a Celtic League final got beat there in, in the RDS. But again, it was a it was a really kind of amazing group of players. You know, when you think of like Ruan Pinar. Johan Muller, Rory Best, Dan Tui, Tom Court, 
um you know there's a lot of amazing people often on the pitch and a lot of good memories there we got beat by Leinster then in the final of, of Europe and that was that was Joe Schmidt before he moved on um to be the Ireland coach and um that Leinster side was just unplayable they were so so good um and we were we were a really brilliant Ulster team but we just still couldn't cope with what they brought that day um from an Irish perspective the highlights for me were for Six Nations that the only sorry the only Six Nations that I won uh but Joe Schmidt's um for Six Nations uh where I played in the wing for all all, all the games uh Paris uh France um uh in the last game of the Six Nations where we won where we won the championship was was a very special one for me to be part of that then a couple of years later um beating South Africa in Cape Town your hometown uh in uh in the old Newlands um stadium before uh-huh. uh, before they moved on and started um having interna- uh, hosting internationals elsewhere yeah uh, that was a, an amazing experience as well we went down to 14 men after about 20 minutes and we still managed to to hold on and beat South Africa for the first time ever in South Africa and we should have gone on and won the the test series but you know we we cocked up <laughs> eventually um and then later on that year in November uh, 2016 in Chicago we beat the All Blacks for the first time ever we beat them for yeah. like four or five times since so it doesn't seem as special but we were the first team ever to beat the All Blacks so it, it feels very special to me yeah uh well we'd say rugby as well as mental as it is physical how would you kind of prepared mentally for major games and like the Six Nations or World Cup matches mm, my um the the mechanism that I used to to kind of get the best out of myself was I, I always had imposter syndrome. I used to walk onto the pitch and think I can't believe I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I can't believe they're falling for this. They're about to find out that I'm not that good. Or you know this all these stupid yeah. irrational thoughts that come into your head. And um, uh, for me, it was just about managing that and having an, an inner kind of voice that spoke louder than that. And um, I had to you know create a list of things in the week things that i knew that if i did these things if i rehearsed these things they would solve problems on game day for me so you know looking after footwork making sure my defense was good making sure you know my high ball reception you know four or five different kind of key ways to get into the game if i tick those boxes then i would just remind myself you're ready there's no reason why you won't perform today it's very likely you'll be able to perform so for me the the ability to to cope mentally and uh, and, and insert some maybe like kind of artificial or um, manufactured confidence um for me then once you get into the game then that manufactured confidence becomes real confidence uh, confidence and then the ability to kick on and kind of express yourself and be yourself um that was how i how i managed how i managed it yeah uh were there any like you know influential figures sort of in the changing room and on the pitch throughout your career yeah so all sorts of um all sorts of leaders um you know Johnny Sexton Paul O'Connell Rory Best um all these all these guys they're all leaders but they're all leaders in their own way um they all lead in different ways they're all they all kind of stamp their own personality and on on their leadership style um and uh, you know some of them do it through you know what they do in the pitch they let their kind of leadership talk through performance or some of them have you know a very kind of rousing ability to get you emotionally ready for a performance or um physically ready all that sort of stuff um and um i always try to kind of 
in terms of any leadership that I would have brought uh, to the team, I always tried to kind of mimic the best bits of some of them, but then also try and remember, you know, you got to be yourself and you got to, there's no point in trying to be Rory Best, Johnny Sexton and Paul O'Connell, try and be yourself and um, just take little bits and, and try and challenge yourself to be the best version of yourself. Um, but yeah, those were the, the kind of typical kind of leaders in the change rooms that I was in. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, transitioning from being in a professional rugby player uh, to retirement is like a big change. How did you navigate it and what were your biggest challenges you'd say you faced? Yeah, it's very tricky. Um, I think there's a lot of guys that I that I know that I played with. Um, I think the biggest problem with with some of them who maybe struggle with it, I struggle with it. It is a difficult transition whenever you're in your mid thirties and um, you have to basically stop doing what you've done your whole life and then start doing something else where all of your mates from school have been doing for fifteen years and they've got the jump on you. They're more experienced. They've got more understanding of how, how business works or however what, what that environment is, what that looks like. So it is quite challenging. And then um, mentally as well, your identity has been wrapped up in rugby. So if you're, if I'm Andrew, the rugby player, if I'm Andrew, the Ulster player, the Ireland player, then once you finish doing that, then, then what are you? And um, that can be quite, quite challenging. You have to reskill, you have to develop that confidence that confidence only comes whenever you have competence in that environment or a different environment in business whatever it is so you have to be humble enough i suppose to to take a step back and reskill and um uh, build yourself back up again and, and understand that you're going to be able to add something valuable in a different environment but there's a lot of transferable skills as well you know how to lead you know how to manage a team you know how to um uh, how do you contribute to to a team effort or all, all that sort of stuff um you know, the professionalism the accountability the expectation all that sort of stuff is 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 useful in 10 different environments not just uh rugby so you can kind of transfer those skills yeah <laughs> yeah were there any like um major sort of setbacks or injuries during your career and how did you learn to overcome them yeah injuries i had a lot of a lot of minor injuries um uh, i had one injury to my uh, to my knee when i was younger and it was in around that time whenever i was describing you know i was like 23 24 and there were young fellas coming into the team that were you know they looked more powerful than me faster than me just more they just had a, a an athleticism that i couldn't really match and that you know me not being able to match that was kind of exacerbated by you know playing with an injury i basically played with an injury for 18 months or 24 months and gradually you know that took its toll and then what i expected myself to be be able to deliver became what i could deliver which was more, nowhere near what it would have been a few years uh years earlier so yeah. um being being brave enough to say no i need i, I need to find I'm not, I'm not right here we need to find something there's definitely times in rugby whenever you have to get on with it you have to um toughen up just get out there and play you might not be able to give the best account of yourself but you'll be able to do a good enough thing good enough um uh contribution for the team it's a team sport and you have to be able to take one for the team every now and again but there's times whenever you have to be selfish as well and say i've been doing this for a year and a half and i i I haven't been able to contribute what I know I was able to contribute before that or where I should be. So um, in terms of setbacks, there's that whole kind of physical piece and the mental piece around being uh, making the right decision. 
and then the physical piece around right let's get back to basics i gotta get fit here and have to find a solution to this so obviously medics and snc coaches and everything they they help you get there as well but sometimes you got to make tough decisions and um that was the case for me yeah uh would you say there's like one player throughout your career that was the toughest to go against um in terms of a winger you mean or any position just any, anywhere on the park kind of so i uh, just think of some of the, the the best wingers um i played against were um tommy bow like played against them when he played for for ospreys he was um you know an unbelievable athlete unbelievable player and real killer kind of killer instinct and the ability to score tries out of nothing um, someone like Mills Malayina, he was the the fullback for New Zealand when we toured there, um, a couple yeah. of times. Just a, a real, really amazing kind of understanding of the game. He could just see things that other people couldn't see. Uh, Johnny Sexton used to just torture us in the backfield with his kicking game, with his ability to break down defenses, and um, yeah, again, he he saw the game in a very special way from a. Uh, like a physicality kind of uh, perspective. Um, I think who um, Tuilangi, there's a uh, Tuilangi, the winger that played for for Leicester. Um, I remember getting absolutely steamrolled by him a couple of times. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so that took its toll a little bit playing against Leicester a couple of times, but. Um, yeah, there's a few there. There's a lot of guys who are very impressive for for different reasons, which is uh, the nice thing about rugby, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, anyway, when moving into business and entrepreneurship, can you tell us the ventures you're involved with and what inspired inspired you to pursue these? Yeah. So we, whenever I finished uh, playing rugby, I, I set up a business called Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. So we. Yeah. Um, I was able to identify that in rugby communication was a big problem. So we had, you know, 10 or 15 different WhatsApp groups at, at, at Ulster. We had, you know, email threads with PDFs and we had whiteboards and we had, you know, uh, gym programs and on Falifax, this sort of stuff. So it was really difficult to know where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be wearing? What's expected of me? Just really basic stuff so that I can get back to being really focused and single-minded and just be concerned about rugby and training and getting the best out of myself because mm-hmm. i i, I kind of knew that environment that was what the value that that i brought and then i spoke to um a friend of mine now you know co-founder and he said right what's everybody else doing is there an opportunity in the market so we said right let's have a look at solving some problems from a tech perspective and we can have you know a live platform we described it as the single digital interface between club and player um so this is the way that the team communicates with the athlete and this is the way the athlete communicates back to the team. So you don't need to worry about 15, 20 different channels, different mechanisms. You're not missing anything. You don't need to be stressed because if nothing's coming through this channel, you haven't missed anything. Um, uh, and it's, it just makes things really easy. Any, it removes any stupid questions, any lazy questions, you know, where's this, where's that, what time's that? It's all in the same place. So it just becomes very easy for athletes to know where it is, be accountable for the information, and then be able to execute on the information. So we set up this business uh, whenever we fin- I finished playing rugby. I didn't really know the first thing about, about setting up a business. So I had a lot of stuff to learn. We raised some investment. I didn't know how to do that. I had to learn how to do that. 
Um, so yeah, a lot of, lot of real steep learning curve, real kind of stressful time, but really good time for personal development and, um, being uncomfortable, but gradually getting more comfortable with that stuff as, as we got, um, got up to speed with it. We got into the market and started selling the product, um, to football teams in, in England, mm-hmm. uh, January 21. So started working with, uh, Forest Green Rovers, Cambridge United, kind of League Two, League League One, League Two uh, football teams and academy teams, and then by that summer we had Brentford, our first Premier League team, using the system, and we had Manchester United Academy using the system, um, which was really cool. My business partner's a Man United fan as well, so he was he basically lived over at um, uh, Carrington and just um, found any excuse he could to to be over there on on site and working some project that didn't didn't make any sense <laughs> but um so it was very exciting work with them and then obviously got the credibility with those two teams then to to kind of move into other premier league teams and championship teams and then we started moving into international rugby and um started getting into um nba teams and baseball teams and hockey, ice hockey teams in the states as well even though we didn't really know much about ice hockey nba or um, yeah. major league baseball but um so we uh, our company got acquired by a group called teamworks which is a, a competitor of ours uh, very big in in college in the college space and also some of the pro teams in the states and elsewhere now and um we were able it was a win-win we were able to um we, we've got half the premier league um we're using kairos by this stage and um the other half we're using teamworks so it worked really well um uh where we were able to kind of work together and you know complete the the, the piece in, in, in English sport, English football anyway. And um, now we're working for them and we're looking forward to kind of developing some new projects together from yeah. um, the st- some of the stuff that we had always planned through, but just being a small business and having, you know, limited bandwidth, we never had the capacity to to do some of these projects. Now we're on, now we're with Teamworks. We can, we can execute a few of these. We're quite excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there any like, you know, skills in sport that kind of helped you with the world of business yeah good good question um i th- i think so i think there's a there's a natural kind of resilience that you develop as a, as a rugby player you know it doesn't just uh, nobody's career is is linear uh, linear that you you know start off in one place and then you get better and better and better until you retire no one ever has that experience and the same is, uh, is true for for business sometimes you've good days sometimes you've bad days but the ability to kind of maintain that focus and maintain that belief that you'll be able to get where you need to get to uh, is really important so that that's probably the, the key trait it's just a, an ability to be resilient to continue to back yourself and, and believe in, in yourself and the team around you um is something that's consistent across business and sport yeah well now moving on <clears throat> You've made it in marketing media and broadcasting field. What kind of motivated you to explore this path? And has there been transitions from the field to the studio? Yeah, so um, to be honest, I didn't really decide to go down um, that route. I, just, I, got, I got invited, I got asked to be part of the premier sport. It was uh, whenever I finished playing. Now it's via play. They got uh, bought over by another company. But um, and then now I do a little bit of Virgin Media um, for for Ireland games. But um, I didn't really plan on getting into the media. Um, but whenever you finish playing rugby, if you get offered opportunities, you just have to take them because you don't know what way your life might go, or you don't get you're not in the luxurious position of dictating 
your perfect career so you just have to take opportunities whenever they come along so i took that and i find it a little bit tricky at the start to be honest you know i'm a rugby fan i always love rugby always will love rugby always will be an ulster fan uh, and an ireland fan so i find it a little bit difficult uh you know maybe being critical about a few players that i played with or you know saying oh he, he dropped that he's useless he should be dropped you know this kind of stuff and, you know like this this week for example dan mcfarland just got um just got sacked and uh you know we're we're gonna talk about that and you know um you know, it doesn't, doesn't sound like dan mcfarland was um he really had the ear of the the changing room you know towards the end it sounds like a lot of guys you know didn't weren't enjoying that environment so you know this is something like i, I know dan but you know just you know despite that you know you have to you know be honest as a as a pundit and sometimes that sort of stuff can be a little bit tricky and a little bit awkward but you get a little bit more comfortable with it as you go along and um yeah I, I learned to get comfortable with it and then i started kind of enjoying the ability to it's a real challenge to be able to describe a game or describe what's going on and be articulate with that but also you know pitch that to people who maybe know rugby but also pitch it to people who might be new to rugby and um you know kind of fair weather maybe six nations supporters so it's it is a little bit of a challenge doing all the media stuff, but I, I really enjoy the um the the challenge of um try trying to be interesting, trying to be entertaining, trying to be articulate, um, and trying to be fair as well. It's it's all they're all good things around communication that that help you elsewhere, I think. Yeah. Uh how do you sort of approach storytelling sports broadcasting? What do you think makes a sort of compelling sports narrative? Yeah, really, really good. So I think it depends on 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 um, your audience. I think for Ulster, if you pay ten or twelve quid a month to to watch Via play, you're probably slightly more of a a rugby fan, a detailed rugby fan. So if you're if I'm doing Ulster games and doing the the Dragons game on Saturday, um, then I think you could be a bit more nuanced, a bit more detailed, a bit more technical around your analysis. Um, but don't forget, rugby on TV is is supposed to be entertainment. So don't don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take the sport too seriously. It's a minority sport. You know, most people would rather play um, football, Gaelic football. Um, you know, rugby is not is not a big sport. It's not mainstream, really. Um, so let's not take ourselves too seriously. Try to be, I suppose, uh, relaxed. Enjoy yourself. Be yourself. In the same principle of saying about you know leadership skills, you got to be yourself. Got to be kind of relaxed in front of the camera. Um, and for uh, but for Virgin Media, where it's Six Nations, it's a bigger audience. Um, you know the, the Southern Channel Virgin Media for for Six Nations games, more people, fair weather supporters, people who maybe aren't aware of some of the some of the laws of the game, would watch Six Nations games. So I think you can just be a little bit more discuss you know have a normal conversation rather than kind of technical analysis so i think there's um there's different things you have to achieve but storytelling is really important in everything in business um in media um if you're saying something that is technically correct but it's boring no one's gonna listen no one cares so you have to find a way to basically know all your stuff but that, so what i do is i i try and listen to as many podcasts as possible read as much as possible, get a, a kind of balanced perspective as well as watching the games. But then I just, in the, you know, an hour before we go on air, I just try and listen to some music, listen to, you know, good music, just get myself in a good headspace, just enjoy 
um, enjoy that feeling and get on with a smile on my face and try and enjoy having a bit, having a bit of a chat, having a bit of crack and, um, uh, and hopefully that comes across. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> kind of what future projects or ambitions are you most kind of excited about at the minute right now? So we are, uh, we've got one, uh, I'll not bore you with it, but we've got one uh, project with um, Kairos now under the umbrella of, of Teamworks. And uh, it's a product that we're, it's uh, around uh, digital displays um, and monitors and um, uh, smart TVs in the training facility, you know, for student athletes in the in the college setup in NCAA. So that's, yeah. um, that's one project developing out that uh, product and then, you know, kind of putting together a go-to-market strategy and uh, and ultimately getting that uh, getting that up and running getting it in the market and getting some traction i'm excited about that um uh, i'm excited about our uh having a little bit more time now to to work on our own uh podcast uh potholes and penguins um which is um you know it's kind of a, a labor of love and has been kind of sidelined a little bit so we'll hopefully get a little bit more time to spend on that and um, push that a little bit more and just get a bit more traction um, so yeah, a couple of things we're working on at the minute. Yeah, uh, just for you know, young athletes aspiring to reach professional levels, do you have any sort of guidance or advice for them? Um, so how how young? Um, anywhere from sort of twelve to eighteen, I'd say. Yeah, so the reason why I asked, I know it seems like a fussy question to ask, but I think I think at twelve you should be playing as many sports as possible. I think maybe by the time you get to 18, maybe you'd be, you maybe again, there's, there's people who kind of study this stuff and would know more, a lot more than me, but I think at that stage you should be starting to kind of hone in on, on the sport that you love and, you know, being able to develop specific skills that will um, be specifically assigned to that sport. Um, but I think just a general athleticism, a general enjoyment of sport, uh, you know, as, you know, a 12, 13, 14 year old, generally just enjoy sport play as many sports as you can it's good socially it's good to meet different people from different backgrounds who um are interested in different in different sports general athleticism general hand-eye coordination and then um you don't so i was rugby i was you know tennis for a while a little bit of golf for a while and then became rugby quite quite early you know i remember in summers you know uh, just going and training in the gym when it was 15, 16, just bench press, arm curls, that's it. Bench press, arm curls, no other muscle group got any attention at all. And uh, me and my mates, we all got like bought like little singlets and all. We went to the gym, the leisure center in Korean every day that whole summer. And uh, we just took ourselves too seriously. It was not, you know, it was nice because we all had that in common. We were all excited about putting on some muscle. And then the following season, we'd be a little bit more um a little bit more physical a little bit more dominant but and that's all that's all very very good but that was all rugby specific for us i think a healthy environment a healthy uh, approach would have been more more broad and um yeah not being too concerned about putting on muscle at, at an early age but you know it kind of it kind of worked for me i suppose so um hopefully there's some some balanced advice in there for you guys maybe yeah yeah okay nice one lads yeah all right thank you very, thank you very much. much for giving us your time sound thanks so much fellas thanks for having me and there you have it folks an exclusive peek into the life and times of andrew trimble thanks to our brilliant year 13 pupils dale and tom for doing the interview what an absolute treat 
Absolutely, and if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us. And that's all for today, folks. But fear not, we'll be back soon with more exciting discussions, fascinating interviews, and everything in between. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and keep listening to the Dominicast. See you next week. Bye! The Dominicast at Dominican College Port Stewart.